I'm so sorry. I was muted. Oh, oh, I've been talking on and on. Can we just say that that's pregnancy brain? I just had a baby about a month ago. So I apologize. Um, I just said uh, a bunch of wonderful things that nobody heard. Um, but I'll start again. Welcome to Friday Night with Friends, everybody. It's so nice to have all of you listening with us. Um, tonight is a special guest, at least to me, uh, and I know to a lot of others. Um, this is my mom, Carolyn Harrington, and she is visiting us, helping me with the newborn baby. Um, and we are in, she's at our house, and I've loved sharing that with her. We just moved into a house in uh, March when COVID happened. Um, so she's one of the first people to be in it, but um, <laughs> we are in separate rooms for, for audio for us, but she is here tonight uh, with me and we've been enjoying the last two weeks together. Um, I've been thinking about how to introduce her and I showed my phone earlier to say, yes, I have notes, even to introduce my mother so that I can properly introduce her and um, get us all started with uh, what she wants to share with us tonight. But um, kind of as an informal introduction, I've always counted myself, you know, very blessed and, and lucky, if we want to say that, um, to have my mom, not only as my mom, but as a friend to me and a spiritual mentor and guide. Um, and she's always been an example to me in so many ways. Um, but as a more formal introduction, uh, my mom is a lady, a uh, kind of jack of all trades. Some of you know she is an artist um, and she, um, she's she been a teacher. I was going to go into her education, but I'll do that next. Um, and she is been, has been an entrepreneur and has always kept herself wearing many, many hats in roles around the churches that she has attended um, throughout her walk with God. Uh, I am a third generation uh, graduate of the University of Colorado. Uh, my mom, yay, go see you, Colorado Bucks. <laughs> uh, my mom also graduated from there and so did both of her parents. So um, that's always been a fun little family fact for me. Uh, she has a bachelor's of fine arts from the University of Colorado. Um, she also uh, later on went and got a teaching degree um, from Cardinal Stritch, I believe that was in Wisconsin. And then later on in life, when I attended Urshan Graduate School of Theology in St. Louis, I remember, you know, talking to my mom, I had moved to St. Louis on my own, I would call her up. And uh, she um, just loved hearing about our studies, and you know, was interested in it. And what do you know, she ended up moving out to St. Louis. Um, after I had moved out there and she completed a master's of theological studies from Urshan Graduate School of Theology. A little fun fact, we graduated together in 2010. Um, <laughs> and I think we are the first and probably the only mother-daughter duo to do that, <laughs> to my knowledge. But that was a really fun experience doing that with her. Um, I know that the last thing I'll say about my mom is, um, you know, she, to me, she's a beautiful lady inside and out. And to uh, many that know her, she has kind of this mantra and it's onward and upward. And it's just always been her um, a, approach to life and 
the way she, you know, uh, approaches everything, challenges, you know, the good, the bad. And I remember her writing it in my little Bibles or my little books that she um, would give to my sister and I growing up as encouragement, included it in all the little cards and all the little, you know, those things. So that's her mantra tonight. And so what I've asked her to do for us in Friday Nights with Family uh, tonight is to share her testimony with us. Um, everybody has a testimony and everyone's is unique. And I think we all enjoy hearing those. So with that, I am going to come off and I'm gonna ask my mom to join it. Uh, take off your mute if it's not already off mom. And she's okay. Gonna, am I good? Yeah, you're gonna okay. share. She's gonna share her testimony with us. Okay, it's all yours. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, I hope. Um, am I coming through loud and clear? Can you hear me? Okay. Well, I think at Newark, I'm known as Meg's mom. Um, that's my uh, connection that I have with the uh, people at Newark. But I was thinking that. I am much more involved and um, I think aware of and know you better because I believe I was Newark's pioneer um, live streaming member. I've been live streaming Newark UPC for about four years now, connected up for a number of reasons, but um, mostly in my um, time of retirement and connecting with a good Good Church, my connection with um, uh, Stephen through UGST. And so I have been streaming live for about four years now. I stream Sunday service, uh, both services, um, Wednesday when we don't have small group. Sometimes there's a special event. If it's being uh, streamed, I get a little notice. And I think I've been able to participate in lots of things and see all of you on a regular basis. But it dawned on me that um, you don't know, probably know very much about me. And so, um, you know, because of um, COVID, we are all connected online now. It kind of gives us a chance to feel what that's like to be a community, online community, and um, uh, be able to connect in that way. So I was asked to give a little testimony tonight, and I'm, I'm I thank you for the invitation and thank you for joining um, us tonight so that uh, we can just have a little chat. And um, as I have gotten to know you over the years, perhaps you'll be able to get you know to know me a little bit. So um, I first wanted to share that I celebrated 43 years of the Holy Ghost and be baptized in Jesus name on July 31st. So in 1977 is when I um, kind of stepped into uh, my uh, Christian walk on my own into Pentecost, but I kind of look at my life as being divided into thirds as it happens. Um, the first 21 years um, was, you know, my growing up, my uh, being with my family, um, uh, high school, college, and then after college, when I was 21, I was married. And I had a married life for 21 years. So that was sort of the second third of my life. And then the third that I'm living now is sort of the next 21 years. So that's kind of how um, the, the markers in life uh, 
cause you to think of, you know, what your life looks like. And right now that's kind of how I see it in thirds. Um, but just to give you a little background of uh, my experiences as a young person, I have two younger brothers, uh, my parents and my dad was an engineer and worked for Boeing and uh, Martin Marietta and Learjet. And so we moved a lot. I think I lived in eight or nine states before I was 14. Um, and in those states, even more locations. So we moved around a lot, but uh, somehow my parents managed to do it in a way that we were always happy. We always, my brothers and I say, when we were little, we just played. And that's very true. We just played. We had a lot of experiences. We had a um, very cohesive family and an extended family. And we were Roman Catholic. My mother is an Italian uh, Catholic, and um, but not, we and our family was rather strict and conservative in our religious and our religious um, upbringing in our lives, but we were sort of modern as far as Italian Catholics go. And um, church, our religious instruction in our church was a very big part of our lives. Um, we attended catechism. We, I remember my first communion when I was seven and. Um, and there are some memories. I thought maybe just in talking tonight a little bit, I would highlight a few of the memories that kind of uh, link together and create my testimony and my connection with God in a, in a memorable way and in a, a, a conscientious way that I can recall it. So I remember uh, when we could receive communion at uh age seven or eight, it's one of the sacraments in the Catholic church. Um, you go up and receive the consecrated wafer. And I don't believe we were ever really taught about, directly about healing and in connection with things. But I always felt like on the days that we went to church, I might have a sore throat and it wasn't bad enough to keep me home. Uh, I still went to church. Um, but I remember being very aware of going up and believing that when I took the communion, I, I could be healed and would be healed and just approached it that way. Um, other things in my life that I can remember is the idea of a guardian angel. And sometimes I'd hold the door open for my guardian angel, um, make room on my chair, the little girl for my guardian angel or next to me on my pillow. Um, we had prayers about our guardian angels and um, things like that. So just our up upbringing was religious and um, um, very connected to family. And I really uh, appreciate that because it was such a solid foundation. Well, when we were 14, uh, we were uprooted from our home in Colorado and moved to Washington, D.C. My dad, um, I know Brother Beardsley, James Beardsley and uh, Stephen know that my dad worked for aerospace. And we moved when I was in high school to Maryland, and um, it was a, a pretty wild time. It was the beginning of the 70s. There were uh, civil rights movements, uh, something like, not exactly like, but something that may, maybe we're seeing now, some of the um, uh, uprisings and uh, protests over um, inequality and um, and things like that. And it was also the Vietnam War. And there was a lot of protests uh, for the Vietnam War. So moving to Washington, D.C. was rather tumultuous. And my parents sent me to an all-girl Catholic high school, 
which I just really hated at the time, but um, I had a really good uh, high school education. And uh, during that time of the Vietnam War and the draft and um, lots of protests, lots of violent protests going on, um, I went to college at the University of Colorado. So for me, I went back to kind of what was the West in my home. And the way I describe that in looking back is during those years in college, I fell out of the boundaries of uh, our family's uh, standards, our family's uh, guidelines, our family's beliefs, and got swept up into um, a lot that was going on. Uh, it, it just swept up into it. Um, There's a lot of partying. There was a lot of uh, participating in um, protests and getting tear gassed. And I, I have a lot of stories about that, but I think the point that I want to make is that even being, uh, I, you know, I went to college when I was 17, so I was pretty young. Just being swept up into the times that were so uh, different, so anti-establishment and so um, um, balking against the establishment and the norms of society and the um, suburban living and things like that. There wasn't a day where in the back of my mind, I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I didn't want to um, stray from God, even though I wasn't practicing any uh, going to church or anything like that. But I distinctly remember the Catholic church bells ringing on Sunday morning and it, it always, it, it just touched my heart. I knew the bells were ringing. I knew it was time for church. I knew I wasn't there. Um, uh, it, it, it is kind of hard to describe the atmosphere of um, college campuses at that time. So um, I just wanted to give you a little background in that way to kind of set the uh, tone of um, I think the safety net that I lived in, I appreciate it so much. My parents had principles. Um, they showed us love. They guided us. They gave me more trust than I deserved. And, um, you know, if you have young children uh, that you're raising right now, I can tell you from my experience that even though I didn't always live within um, our belief our solid belief system, I, I veered outside of it. It was always on my mind and, and it brought me back. It brought me back um, to a foundation because there is no foundation out there doing whatever you want. So that was that, I didn't see it that way at the time, but that is how I look back and see it now. Um, that is the hand of God on my life. And that's for me, when people say the hand of God on their lives, that is how I relate to it that in those early years of adulthood, the hand of God really was on my life. And as Meg mentioned, I graduated um, with a uh, degree in fine arts and um, met my husband at the University of Colorado. And so we were married at 21, um, which I kind of look at it, look to as sort of the start of the next, what my life looked like the next 21 years. Um, we met and uh, sort of at uh, some type of, a, I'm sure, a protest or something and rally. And um, 
uh, dated and got married and um, both sort of living outside of our, you know, our parameters, like I say, that our families brought us up in um, good Christian morals. And, um, but I think getting married and him going to law school uh, brought us back to reality. I worked full time. And so we moved from Colorado uh, to Milwaukee, which was where, where he was from, because he was going to attend Marquette Law School. And that was a new city for me. I didn't have friends or ties there. Um, and after working just less than a year, I met a woman at the hospital that I worked at. I worked in the x-ray department. Named, her name was Marie. And Marie was a Catholic Italian who went to a uh, Catholic, uh, Catholic school all her life. But she didn't go to Catholic church anymore. She went to a Pentecostal church. And I have to tell you, for I, I didn't know one single thing about Pentecost. It wasn't anything I was familiar with. I'm not even sure I had ever heard the term Pentecost before. Um, so she witnessed to me. And uh, my husband uh, was a full-time law school is all consuming. And I'm not sure if he was working at the time, but he was in the library taking classes, you know, uh, for all waking hours. And uh, I had a lot of free time. And we were um, independent as was kind of the flavor of the day then, sort of independence. We, we were married, but we were just independent in the things we did, gave each other a lot of you know, room and stuff. So I began to, um, I attended church with her one time because as I said, I was not attending church at all for at least the last four or five years. Um, and I didn't like it at all. I went to Pentecostal church in uh, Elam Tabernacle in Milwaukee. It was so different. It was, you know, shockingly different that I wanted to kind of back away. Um, that was that. But she did invite me to a Bible study. And the one thing that I, well, there are two things that I really remember in this Bible study that were, again, foundational and linked me, um, you know, linked me to looking at the Bible for my guidance. Um, the pastor happened to be teaching the Bible study with a group of us. And I was rather defensive after a discussion um, privately to him, I went over to him and I said, you know, um, you talk as if uh, other people don't have a walk with God. I said, I have a lot of experiences with God. And I said, but it was very defensive the way I said it. And he looked at me and said, hold on to your experiences, but be willing to add on to them. And that was so foundational. I didn't have to argue with them. I, he gave me the space to, um, he validated my experiences. And I didn't think that was going to happen. So I, that is something that I have used many times in my own talks with people. I always say, you know, hold on to your experiences, but just be willing to add on to them. We all grow, we all develop. And that was very foundational, sort of opened the door, I feel, to uh, Pentecost for me. The other extremely eye-opening, you say, God opened my eyes, um, study in that old black and white and red search for truth chart, which I still have. 
um, got the red bloodline running through it. And I found it fascinating, I really did. But when we got to the place where Saul of Tarsus was blinded and called out to the God of the Old Testament that he knew, um, who, out the, who art thou, Lord? And God answered, I am Jesus. <gasps> that took my breath away inside me. It was, I saw that Jesus was God. And um, I think a discussion for another day and another time is like uh, my understanding of the Trinity and oneness. Um, it, it was just so unbelievably eye-opening. And it must've been in that same lesson six or seven uh, or the lesson following where it talked about our own baptism into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the name of Jesus. I saw it clearly. Um, I can't tell you how clear it was. There was no struggle, no um, debating it. No, I saw it clearly. And I believe that was on a Monday because I could not wait till Wednesday night to get baptized. Um, I was worried that something would happen between one Monday and Wednesday. And so I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know what baptism looked like or meant. Um, I'm trying to think if I attended, had attended maybe a couple other services since then, but I was baptized in the name of Jesus after service. It was, um, uh, and then people, you know, were telling me to pray for the Holy Ghost. And again, I wasn't quite sure what that was. Um, and that was June 1st, 1977, when I was baptized. Well, I went home and rather matter-of-factly told my husband that I had been baptized. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I thought um, that's what you do when you uh, have a revelation like that. And I, I'm not sure I'll ever get over you know, his reaction, but he despised that I had done that. That's the only way I can put it. I think of that scripture where uh, Michael looked on David and despised him. That word despised, he despised that I had done that. And uh, let's see, we were like 22, 23. And I think that um, I think that it was, I never had to reconcile, I never had to reconcile in myself, my previous understanding of faith, my lack of faith, my lifestyle, and my new understanding of, of the mighty God in Christ and acting on the word of God. But I think uh, there are some of us who are a little bit older that would, you would understand the statement when I say that in 1977, uh, the Pentecostal church was more fundamentalist. Um, now we have charismatic and evangelism and things like that, but it was sort of a fundamentalist um, church in, in a Christian world. That, in other words, the term other side of the tracks, Pentecost is the other side of the tracks. In 1977, for me, it was. And it was sort of a throwback in time in some ways. And I think that my husband could never reconcile that fundamentalism and the extreme um, 
reputation that fundamentalism had, which we didn't practice or live, but I, I feel like he could never reconcile that. But this is kind of what we did. You know, people say we agree to disagree. And my description of what we did for the next few years, we, we were still in law school, we didn't have kids yet, is that we kind of ag agreed to not talk about that, the religious aspect of our relationship. Um, that that's just what we did. So we kind of, there was a gap there. Um, I, I didn't understand the problem. I didn't realize that the church had created a wedge in the way that it did. But I also um, didn't have the reception that I thought I would when I told my parents and when I told my brothers and when I told, wrote to some of my cousins and I wrote to my grandma. Uh, it, it was so foreign and how could I leave the Catholic church that, um, it, it kind of jarred everybody and everything. And I didn't mean it to, and it, I feel like it shouldn't have, but it did. So that sort of set a, a little bit of a rocky tone, tone, but, you know, we went on to have three children. Now, one thing I asked for the Lord to give me was responsibility. I wanted the Lord to make me responsible. And his reply to that is that he gave me three kids in two years. My son was born in 1980 and the girls were born in 1982 and I had three kids under two. Um, I, I just continued to take them to church. We'd go Sunday morning. Um, it's something that, you know, I can't, it seems odd, but it, we just really didn't discuss it or approach it. Um, but looking back, it, you know, the gap, was growing wider. I believed everything in the word of God. I believed every Sunday when our little family got into the car and drove from the north side of Milwaukee through the town into the south side of Milwaukee where the church was, we dropped my husband off at the law firm where he worked. Um, he was kind of a workaholic that way and we'd go on to church. There wasn't a Sunday that I didn't pray at the turn off at the bridge that my husband would say, let's just go straight today and we'll all go to church. Um, but it never happened. I did that for many, 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 many years. And so um, I think my kids would say, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody, but you know, we really did have a, a, a happy household. We managed to somehow make it work until it didn't. That's, that's just the way it was. Yes, we really did. We had a we great- We really did. We, we, it, we really made it work. And um, I, I, I will say that I worked very hard at balancing things, but I didn't mind. I was happy to do that. But sometimes this is how I felt, that I was too Pentecostal for my family, not my, my family at large. And I was never Pentecostal enough for the church. You know, I couldn't make every service. I couldn't. And that's the way it was back then. Um, having an us for and no more family was what not having an us for and no more church family was just, you know, we were just on the outskirts, not in a bad way. Um, it's just, you know, I just never felt quite Pentecostal enough for the church and too Pentecostal for my family. And I worked very, very hard to balance that. And, uh, but I didn't mind. I didn't, I didn't mind doing that. I was happy to do that. Um, so, you know, I, I, 
I've just kind of given you a background of what our, what my experience, um, really when I got baptized, this is what happened. I got baptized and the life that I lived in college literally fell down like a shroud around my feet. That, that is the exact image that I had. Those things that I couldn't be forgiven for in the confessional of the Catholic church, those things that I couldn't make right ever because they weren't right, were taken away. I had the altar of repentance was something new to me and I was up there a lot and I, I, I was baptized and that I stepped out of that life. That I stepped over that shroud and just carried on. And, and I loved God. I loved everything about him. I loved my family. I loved my husband. I loved, you know, I just, uh, life was good and I, I was very optimistic. And so um, that's just how life went for, you know, a good part of the next 21 years until what what happens, I think, in um, divided homes, you know, I don't, that's sort of the terminology that we use, is that sometimes the one person doesn't want to bridge that gap anymore. And I think that's what happened. Um, and I, I hate divorce. I hate the word. Um, I hate the ramifications of it. I hate that what happens in divorce never goes away. Um, and we had a very, uh, unf you know, very hard divorce. It was very, very, very hard. And I'm just gonna share a story with you that during that time, uh, you know, again, I believed God could do everything. Um, I believe he could restore my marriage, I believe. And sometimes it's hard to hear other people's testimonies that their spouse was saved after prayer, their spouse came into the church when they prayed and they fasted, you know, it, it, it's hard to hear that. It's hard to hear when someone else's prayer is answered that is also your story, but your prayer isn't, you know, or your story isn't resolved. And so I was standing at the top of the stairs, having just read, probably not wisely, the book of Job. And could not, and I was, I always believed, I always felt that God was sovereign and it was my job to reconcile myself to God, not argue with him about Job's story. But I was mad that I had to do that. And I was mad that I had, was having a Job-like experience. And I took my book that I got, my Bible that I got in 1977, a beautiful, beautiful book, and I said to God something to the effect that the Bible should only have 65 books, not 66, because Job shouldn't be in it. <laughs> Threw it down the stairs and it split the binding of my Bible. And I ran down so fast after that Bible. And you know, Meg, it's, it's got giant duct, duct tape. I, that is still my Bible. Uh, the pages are hardly in it, but um, it's duct taped together. And I repented so hard that I had done that, um, that I had to reconcile Job's story in my own experience with the sovereign God. For me, that's sort of always my wrestle. My wrestle is that not that God demands things. And since I don't want to do it, I want to walk away, but that it makes, makes me have to line myself up in a way that 
is hard. It makes me mad sometimes that I have to do that. But what I've learned over the years is that um, those are the times that if we can only draw close to God in those times instead of farther away, you know, he will transform us. Um, and I've had, you know, a number of transforming experiences that day. Um, I want to tell you about one other time. Well, so we were divorced. It was very, very hard. Um, I've had two experiences with angels. One, and I'm going to share that on my way. The divorce was very ugly. Um, it just was. Um, you know, the details would take a long, long time. Uh, but on the way to court to settle things before the judge, I saw and felt and knew that there were two centurion, maybe sentinel angels, tall, thin, beautiful, blue and, and metallic, still as can be on either side of me. And when we got to the court that day, it was sitting around the table before we went into the judge to see if he would um, allow me to move with my children which was contested and some other thing matters that couldn't be resolved uh, without going to court. Um, it was me, my husband, my husband who was an attorney, his attorney, my attorney, and the guardian and lighting at Lydum attorney for the kids. And 15 minutes before we were supposed to go before the judge um, who would determine, you know, a lot of things my husband's attorney turned to him and said, why don't you just let her go? And he agreed. We never had to go before the judge. Um, later, my attorney said to me, I've never seen uh, the opposing attorney act like such a prince as he acted with you. And so I feel like I was protected so strongly in the Lord, not that divorce, not that I want anything. You don't want anything in divorce, but I felt God's protection in a situation that was so completely out of my hands. And um, um, we moved to Colorado and I uh, connected myself with the Yeomans who were gonna start a church and we started it in our house. Our, our house with the kids. It was kind of wonderful. Um, it, it, we had wonderful 10 years of church in Boulder while the kids were finishing up high school and college. Um, but I want to uh, share one more story without, I, I hope I'm not all, yes, you're doing fine, Mom. I was just going to say um, th some questions are coming in. So uh -huh. if you want to finish with this story, then maybe we can invite Joyce back on and um, dive into some of the questions. But go ahead and finish this thought, and then we'll look at what uh, questions are coming in. Oh, okay. That okay. sounds good. This is one story in our during the 10 years that we were in Boulder and had a church. Uh, it was a small home missions church, and I have to say it was wonderful. Well, I had opened a bookstore. I'd love to talk to you about that sometime. But um, after about uh, 
six years of being divorced and having some financial things in place for the kids' education and uh, whatever the agreements were, um, that began to fall apart. And um, uh, in def uh, my former husband was in defiance of the court order and uh, left me in a financial position that um, made me have to scramble. And I said to God, I will go up to the church for 30 days. And I left my bookstore in the hands of my capable employees, children's bookstore. It was just, it was just a, a labor of love. I, I love that so much. But those 30 days where I'd go up, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was looking for direction. I didn't know if I you know, needed to review things. I didn't know if there was going to be retribution on my behalf. I didn't know if there was, you know, vengeance was mine. I didn't know how this was going to work out. I would go up to the church and, um, and it was hard. Things were starting to unravel again and fall apart. And I'm going to tell you that those 30 days, Meg, you probably remember me going up there every day, turned into 300 days. I went up every day to church. I had the, um, I had the um, uh, leeway to do so. I was there by myself uh, for 300 days. Sometimes I'd sleep there. Sometimes the girls would come at night. Sometimes we'd get out tambourines and play music and sing around the church. Sometimes the girls would show up on their way to class at college and bring me Starbucks coffee. Um, sometimes my pastor's wife would stop in um, during the day. I just I was just there, it turned into 300 days. And at the end of those 300 days, uh, I, I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to keep going with my bookstore. I had to make some decisions and that was okay. I, I mean, the bookstore was such a blessing that it was hard to know that it, I, I couldn't keep it. But a lot of that had to do with the um, economic condition anyway uh, at the time. So our the uh, United States economy and stuff. But I, I would say to I would say to a very small select group of loyal and dear friends, I'm not okay. I, I'm I'm not okay. That's all. I, I I just am not okay. And people, you know, try to help me make it okay. Try to say the right things. Um, but I, there was something I wasn't okay. And in that state of mind, and I, and I was, I wasn't, it was hard. I was in a hard spot, didn't know what to do and things were falling apart. And here, here I was once again, facing a situation I didn't want to face again. Life wasn't fair and I wasn't okay. And Brother Yeoman's pastor had a, an evangelist come. We'd had him before, Brother Compton. Brother Compton, remember him? Brother Compton came and I just wanted him to give me the answer. In fact, he said, you know, God's going to speak to you. And I said, I don't want God to speak to you. You're the man of God. You tell me what he's going to, you know, I mean, I was just so desperate. And so um, I, I couldn't be consoled, but he didn't know anything about my story one bit. And after one night of uh, service and prayer and, and it was very, uh, he, he had a word, he'd, he'd have a word for people. Um, a, a prophecy, a word. He came over to me and he said, uh, I see a rainbow over you and one word, 
okay. A rainbow, okay. He said, that's what I see. And God let me know that, I, I, and I was okay then. God talked to me so personally. Can that really happen? I, I'm here to tell you it can. It does. I believed it then. I believe it now. I'll take it every time it comes to me. I'll take it every time you need it. God gave me a rainbow and one word that only I could understand that night. Okay. And since then, I've, again, I've told people that if you have someone that comes to you and they say they're not okay and you don't know what to do, send them to me. Connected to me. I am a, I borrowed this term and I love it. I borrowed it from an article I read. I am a doubt companion. I can walk alongside people, alongside people for however long it takes and however long they're filled with doubt or fear or they're struggling or they're not, not okay. I, perhaps maybe that's my name for my calling today as a doubt companion. Um, because I know that you can make it through with God. I know that God will send someone. I know that God will send two angels. I know that um, he'll send you a pastor or a, he'll, he'll, he'll fill in your, your, uh, unbelief and your lack of faith with whatever you need if if you do your best to stay close to him whether that means going to the church for 300 days as it turns out or whether you know it's your prayer closet whether whatever it is you can find God go find yourself in his word um, know that God is always working behind the scenes that's one of my core values mm -hmm. and it God, God knows all our struggles. You know, I don't think I was much good to anybody else during those 300 days. Um, but sometimes we have those spaces in our lives or those places in our lives where we just need God. We can't be much to other people, but then God will bring us out. Like he brought um, Elijah who, who was in the cave you know, didn't, didn't want to come out, you know, of the cave. I feel like God has brought me out of the cave. He's let me be in the cave. You know, I, I've stayed in there, but he won't let me stay in there too long. So those are just some of the things I've experienced. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe some of the questions will lead to little other parts of the story. I mean, 43 years of walking in Christ, I can't, cover it all in one night and I don't want to ramble too much. So I'll just kind of stop here. And um, truly I do say onward and upward in Jesus name. That is my mantra. So thanks for listening. <laughs> well, thank you. I've listened to your stories all night. <laughs> so I'm just ticking, but it's, it's awesome. Okay. So there's a question. What was the biggest hurdle for you in moving from the traditional sacramental practice of the Catholic Church to the spontaneous revivalist Pentecostal Church? Well, the you know, I just I put it this way lovingly that it was um, 
such a throwback in time to go to a church where there was preaching and amens and, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, um, uh, I guess is liturgy the right, right word. There wasn't, it, there wasn't a uh, cut and dry, you know, in the Catholic church, uh, the order is the same all the time. And so I, I want to say that I don't think it was that hard for me because between being raised Catholic and stepping into Pentecost, I had about five years of being outside of the boundaries of any church. So I, I don't think I struggled with um, what the Catholic church uh, protocol and service looks like, because to me, to me it, it was a Christian foundation that I could translate you know, to Pentecost in, in so many ways. I it was still the same God to me. Um, I was able to drop off those things that weren't biblical, I guess, to my understanding and the teaching of the Pentecostal church um, that were Catholic tradition, like, um, oh, at the top of my head, I'm just trying to think of what things, like like confession, the whole process, con process of confession. Um, well, I hadn't practiced it in so long that being able to go to the altar was, a, it was the most wonderful thing in the world. I can go to an altar and kneel down in those days till 11 or 1130 at night and repent of, I don't know, things I'd repented of already, things that I thought I should repent of, things that I should have repented every time. And, you know, it was actually kind of um, uh, a freeing. So for me, the transition wasn't, um, the way that I understand the question, because I think it is hard for people to give, give up their Catholic tradition. They're praying to um, Mary, their understanding of the Trinity, the saints. I, I, I had already kind of thrown that out the door um, unceremoniously. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, God allowed me to sort of pick up all of his word and no, and, and I didn't have to wrestle with it. I didn't have to wrestle with God's word. It was so clear to me. Um, that's, that's why it was kind of hard to not be able to share my testimony with my family in a way, because it was, I thought it would be clear to them too. It was so, if it was clear to me, I, I was sure it would be clear to them. And, um, you know, it, it put up, it, it never divided us, but it certainly put up barriers. And the truth is, I'm the one who did that. You know, I'm the one who changed the dynamics of our family. And I, I, I don't, I, I did, you know, so. Um. Well, what has, what has your experience been as a divorced woman in the church? Well, it wasn't, I, I, I like I said, I, I, I don't, don't always I didn't always feel that there was a exactly a place for me um, in church anyway, as a divine, you know what I mean? In, 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 you know, there wasn't a head of the household in those days. That was so important. I was coming to church with my kids. I was deciding that I couldn't make every Sunday night service, you know? So, um, Immediately when I was divorced, we moved to Colorado and met up with, in effect, met up with the Yeomans and started our own church. 
And um, if there were things in, if there were things about the church at that time that were difficult for divorced women, I didn't experience it because that wasn't the makeup of our church. You know, we were, Brother Yeoman said we were a three-fold cord ministry. His wife who was ordained, uh, he was ordained, and I was the um, uh, support, you know, the p- pillar support. So I, I, I don't think it was hard. Um, I grew up in a family where I, I, the sky was the limit. I was the oldest and I was a girl. My mother was a pharmacist. So we didn't have gender restrictions. We didn't have um, educational restrictions. And I was independent and sure enough of who I was that I, I didn't have to fight against that. I do know that people have to. Um, and what I've tried to do when I've come across um, struggling women um, who are not just struggling because of the church, they're struggling uh, for, for their role in society too. They're struggling for the marriage that they have. They're struggling, you know, struggling women. I, I try to help them find their independence and be confident in their decisions as a person, not a broken divorced woman, you know? Um, so uh, I, I, I think my hurt was, was with my divorce and my husband, not really struggling with the church, you know, um, the Yeomans and uh, I mean, we just, we were just the church, you know, my, my family, their family, a few other small families. And um, I've always been met with respect as a uh, believer. I think anywhere that I went. So I'm thankful for that. Um, again, hand, hand of God may be on me because maybe that would have been something I couldn't have maneuvered well. I don't know, but um, um, I'm, I'm thankful for my experiences and being able to be a whole person in Christ um, in the church alongside of uh Married people, single single people. I mean, we do all. Uh, like I said, I hate I hate being divorced. I hate, you know, it's the only the thing with divorce is the only relationship that you were that you're not now. I was a wife, and I'm not. You know that doesn't happen with other family ties, and it's it's just an ugly, sad thing that I wish wasn't, but. That's, that's just what divorce is. Um, so I don't know, I'm, I probably didn't quite directly answer the question, but that is my experience. You answered it, thank you. Now, were there any helpful things the church did to encourage you as a believer and as a mother? As a believer what? And as a mother? Um, well, uh, I believe even even at Elam Tabernacle where I was saved and I attended there 19 years. That's what the one place I think I've lived the longest in my entire life. Um, I was saved there. I had my family, my three children. Uh, that was their church for the years that we lived there. And I feel like um, the church. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know if they 
had, uh, well, let me take that back. I do know of something that someone did just for me that they hadn't had before. Because uh, another woman who was married knew that I had three kids myself in church, they created a nursery with speakers. It was a big deal because I spent about three and a half years in there. Um, and I found out after the fact that Lois Driscoll had suggested um, a room be made. I wasn't the only mother, but uh, my situation um, prompted or inspired her to do something about it. And um, so that that is a big deal when a saint, uh, pastor, maybe someone on the board recognizes a uh, situation that is trying. Um, it's trying to have three kids who are three, one and one, sit on the back pew, um, get them in the car seats myself, you know, drive to church myself, be there for back then, which was two and a half hours in the morning. And who knows how long at night the services, you know, they started at 730. And I, I'm not kidding. A lot of times we got out at 11. And so um, uh, that I think was instrumental. And so um, it kind of uh, quickens me to say that, you know, if you do see a situation and there's something that you can do a, a someone in the church where um, their hands are full, their load is too big. Um, a particular situation is making them struggle right now. And there's something in the church that you can do to fix that so that maybe their service experience is um, a little bit more beneficial for them, whether it's temporary or permanent. Um, I, you know, we should do that because it worked. It worked for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I will, I will say one, I'm going to tell you a story uh, kind of piggybacking that. There was a situation where um, it was just me and my three children every, every service. And the pastor came up to me, a very uh, normal request, and asked if I would drop off a visiting Pentecostal man who was visiting in a town and looked up the church and came if I would drop him off at his hotel, because I drove through downtown Milwaukee and all the way to the north side and everybody else lived on the south side. If I would drop him off and I said, no. And he said, well, but I'm, I'm it's just giving him a ride. And I said, well, it's, it puts me in an awkward position. You know, I'd either have to tell my, my husband, I'd rather not tell him. And I don't want the kids to say something and then I hadn't, so I said, no. Um, and I, I it, it was uncomfortable to say no, but it would have been way more awkward. And I think, well, that's another place where maybe we can be aware if we're asking um, uh, a, a young, you know, but that was my situation. And, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't parallel with anybody else's, but just those little things where I would have liked to have said yes. But my circumstances as a, um, as a um, woman with three children whose husband hated that I went to the church anyway, um, was taking, you know, giving another man a ride home. I just, the appearance wasn't comfortable for me. So um, uh, just little things like that come up that you have to kind of position yourself in the situation. And, um, um, yeah, 
I, I, I wish it would be otherwise, you know, I wish I could have said, sure, I, you know, just things like that. And that's definitely understandable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually two more questions, which I'm hoping we can squeeze in both of them. Okay. <laughs> but um, so as a digital member, what are some ways Newark can minister to you? Well, we're all experiencing a digital uh, membership with COVID now, aren't we? But um, uh, well, first of all, I want to thank the IT team. Um, I don't know who all it includes, but really for the, I'm saying about four years, how I, however long it's been, where uh, uh, Stephen made it possible to, um, uh, uh, Pastor Stephen has made it possible for me to express what I need. Um, in addition to what the IT team is doing. Um, it, it's, it's just been marvelous. Um, I love that for, for one thing, I love that the IT team keeps the streaming going through the end of altar call, you know, or if there's a baptism, I, I feel very clear. I feel like I'm in the back pew with you all, you know, saying, <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, small groups have been wonderful. Um, I am thrilled to be part of small groups now because when small groups were not digital, um, that was something that I missed out on. I'm trying to think. Um, I, I knew a, a few of the people, so there were ways that we kept in touch, but I did miss the small group evenings. So is there anything else? I, I just think what they've done so far is wonderful. My understanding is that um, it's going to continue, you know, the even with COVID and however the church moves forward. And I hope that everyone else who is participating or maybe who hasn't participated yet, but can be encouraged to participate, um, appreciate it and, and, and take advantage of every time the church is live, that we could come together and, and be connected. Um, we even took communion together and um, uh, digitally. And that is wonderful because it would be easier to say, well, we won't do that until we get together in person. So I, for me, it works. Um, it might not work for everyone, but I would encourage you to keep trying to stay connected so that, um, you know, you can, uh, really get, uh, really be involved and connected. So uh, again, I, I just appreciate the IT team and the effort that has been put on, on my behalf for many years and now trying to keep the church connected when we can't gather together. So, and hopefully the idea is that I'm connected to the church that I'm hoping that I'm gonna retire to. So I'm trying to get there, everyone. <laughs> Pray for that. <laughs> so. I know exactly what you mean. I was a digital member for a while. So oh, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Okay, Meg, it's your call. <laughs> it's actually 801, but there's a question I was hoping to ask. Um, your experience when you were baptized with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So um, do we have time for that? I know it's 801. Mom, do you think you can answer that? I'll be quick. In a couple minutes. Okay. Yes, yes. I got baptized June 1st and everyone kept asking me, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? I just wasn't quite sure what it was, but there was a revival um, that last week in July. And 
I had gone up to, um, you know, to, try to understand what being open to receiving and speaking in tongues would be like, but I hadn't yet. But that revival was such a turning point. I can still remember Brother Lambro, Brother Fisher, me and Brother Feckmeyer all went down at the end of that uh, last night of revival on July 31st and received the Holy Spirit. I can remember Sister Lipsky was standing next to me. I know where I was kneeling, um, Sister Llewellyn, and it was just uh, it was an experience of light. It was an experience of this is really true. It was an experience of this is what tongues is, I guess, you know, this is what tongues sound like. I loved it. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and I, I love that I experienced it with other people. Um, to this day, a couple of us still remember that that's our Holy Ghost, um, our Holy Ghost experience, but it, it was getting to that place where, but, and, you know, I, I, I do have a reserved personality. So there was a bit of self-conscious, being self-conscious about praying and who was around me and stuff, but not that night. And it was just um, electrifying and, and a wonderful uh, experience that I can still in my mind remember today. So God has kept me. He's been faithful. Um, he is true and and he's just everything to me. And I just, um, I love my life in God. I love my life in Christ. I love my life as a Pentecostal. Um, um, I love being connected with you all. I really do. So uh, that's kind of a quick journey through some of my experiences. And thanks for listening tonight. It was, I hope it wasn't too rambling. Um, um, I enjoyed the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. <laughs> well, it's 8.03, and I suppose we will conclude. Um, thank you very much for joining us tonight. And Thank you. Yes, thank you. 7 o'clock. Okay. Good night, everyone. Bye.